Hi, this is Stephen Ambrose, Senior Pastor at Wapak Naz. I want to welcome you to the Wapak Naz podcast. We hope and pray that this message goes deep into your DNA, is encouraging, relevant to your life, a means for you to engage with God and experience His love, and moves you to impact your world. We at Wapak Naz believe firmly that you matter to God. We are glad that you are taking the risk to engage with Him today. Wapak Naz is love people loving people to Jesus, and it takes people to partner with us to be on mission and bring this message to our community, the region, and the world. If you would like to financially partner with Wapak Naz to love people to Jesus, join us by going to our website at wapaknaz.org and becoming a financial partner. We thank you, we pray for you, we love you, and enjoy the message. Uh, you are mighty warriors, and I just want to say good morning, mighty warriors, to all of you. And uh, we continue in our series, Going the Distance. Um, <clears throat> and just so that you're kind of aware, you can open up your scripture uh, or pull out your phone. We're going to be in 2 Corinthians all morning um, till like noon or 5. I don't know. Uh, we're going to be in 2 Corinthians all morning, so we're going to flip through that actual book most of the morning. But first want to start out this week, uh, Amy and I, my wife, uh, we were out and about in our community, and as we were out and about, we, we ran into a, a, a person, um, and we started having a conversation, and this person my wife had, had met about three years ago when we were doing pop-up shops in about 200 square feet of our store, when it was still uh, needing a lot of love, uh, needing a transformation, and uh, this person, um, we, we had a cordial conversation, genuine conversation, and we wished each other well. It was brief, and uh, we went on our separate ways. And then we got into the car, and, and my wife started to share. She said, you, you know that person that we just talked to? I said, yeah. Um, I mean, I don't know them, but uh, yeah, I remember who we just talked to. I don't have that bad of a me- short-term memory. Um, and she said, uh, well, I will never forget the first time I, I met that person, um, he came into the pop-up shop. And again, it was, it was during the time where, I mean, we, nothing was constructed. We had done some basic demo. Um, things were off the walls, and it just looked barren. Um, and uh, we had a small selection of chocolates and, um, and coffee beans, and the person kind of came in and looked around and looked at my wife and in reference to Winans and Wapak, the person said, it'll never work. It just won't work. It won't. And I, that's what my wife remembered from that conversation. It will never work. It just won't work. Perspective has power, doesn't it? The perspective that you have in life actually has power. Why? Because perspective will determine response. And response determines outcome. Right? I'm not telling you anything that you don't already know. Your perspective determines your response, and your response determines your outcome. What's the greatest predictor of future behavior? Past behavior, right? Now, 
I say that, but I know that the Lord can transform and change you from the inside out. Perspective matters. Our response matters. Because the outcome happens as a result of your perspective and your response. Will you say perspective with me? Perspective. Will you say response? Response. You good, you're great at response. Thank you for responding. I'd like for you to open up to 2 Corinthians chapter 1. And if you don't know, this is Paul speaking to the Corinthian church. Paul, Paul was a Christian killer turned church planter. He was a murderer turned mentor. He was an executioner turned evangelist. He was a persecutor turned preacher and pastor. He thought himself to be godly in his own eyes and became godly in God's eyes. If you want to read about his transformation, you can jot this down. It's in Acts chapter 9, and it is a story that I continue to come back to in my own life. But now we have Paul, who is the church planter. He's the shepherd, he's a pastor, and he's writing to a church that he had been a part of its development. In fact, he helped plant it along with a dynamic duo of a couple, Priscilla and Aquila, and a guy by the name of Apollos. And now he's removed from this church, and he had spent so much time with them. And he's writing them a second letter. And in fact, we, we know that, we, we think that Paul actually wrote four letters, and we only have two of those letters, First and Second Corinthians. And here he's addressing some things about perspective, and he's addressing some things about response. And so I want you to think in terms of your perspective and your response. 2 Corinthians chapter 1, and we're going to read through verse 11. Then we're going to jump. So hopefully you have quick fingers. We're going to jump over to chapter 11. Okay? Chapter 1, verse 1. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God, and Timothy, our brother. Paul's not writing this alone. He has the individual, he's with the individual that he's been mentoring, Timothy. To the church of God in Corinth, together with all the saints throughout Achaia. Achaia is the region in which Corinth is in. It's kind of a province, like Columbus is to Ohio, Ohio is to Columbus. Grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Praise be to God, the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of compassion and the God of all comfort who comforts us in all our troubles so that we can comfort those in any troubles with the comfort we ourselves have received from God. For just as the sufferings of Christ flow over into our lives, so also through Christ our comfort overflows. If we are distressed, it is for your comfort and salvation. If we are comforted, it is for your comfort, which produces in you patient endurance. In other words, so that you can go the distance. Of the same sufferings we suffer, and our hope for you is firm, because we know that just as you share in our sufferings, so also you share in our comfort. 
We do not want you to be uninformed, brothers and sisters, about the hardships we suffered in the province of Asia. We were under great pressure, far beyond our ability to endure. Let me just speak to a myth that is rampant amongst the church and even folks outside the church. God doesn't give us more than we can't handle. Paul just proved that incorrect. There are things in life that we get, whether by the hand of God or not, because sometimes life just happens. And quite frankly, there are moments in our life, there are seasons in our life that are way beyond what we can endure. Because if God only gave us what, what we could handle, then why would we need God in the first place, right? There are going to be times in your life, and you're probably sinning in them right now, that are way beyond your ability to endure yourself. Let's just take that myth right out and call it for what it is. It's false. Let's jump back in. We were under great pressure, far beyond our ability to endure so that we despaired even of life. Indeed, our hearts, we left the same sentence of death, but this happened that we might not rely on ourselves, but on God, who raises the dead. He has delivered us from such a deadly peril, and He will deliver us. On Him we have set our hope that He will continue to deliver us, as you help us by your prayers. Then many will give thanks on our behalf for the gracious favor granted us in answer to the prayers of many. If you wouldn't mind, flip over to chapter 11. Last week, we talked about our resume of pain. And you're probably wondering, why, Ambrose, are we talking about pain when we're talking about going the distance? not only in life, but in faith. Because quite frankly, pain, whether it's physical, emotional, psychological, or even spiritual pain, we have pain in which we are angry with God. But pain itself, adversity, suffering, that is the quintessential, pivotal moment where many people, when they face it, give up. They just stop going. This is why we're having the conversation and extending it amongst two sermons. Because pain and adversity and challenge and discomfort and loss and grief, all of us face it. Storms in our life will happen. And it's in those moments that we determine for ourselves whether we go forward or we stay where we are and we retreat. And so... I asked you to think about your resume of pain in your own life. I myself just began to document it and look at it and reflect on it. Paul himself has his own list of pain, his resume of pain, and quite frankly, it's a lot of physical pain. For 2 Corinthians chapter 11, we're going to jump right into his resume. Verse 23. Are they servants of Christ? 
I'm out of my mind to talk like this. I am more. I've worked much harder. Been in prison more frequently. Been flogged. Here it is. It's up on the screen if you don't have it. Been flogged more severely. Been exposed to death again and again. Five times I received from the Jews 40 lashes minus one. Meaning, if they would flog him the 40th time, typically that's where death occurs. So five times he was within one flog of death. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. I spent a night and a day in the open sea. I've been constantly on the move. I have been in danger from, from rivers, in danger from bandits, in danger from my own countrymen, in danger from Gentiles, in danger in the city, in danger in the country, in danger at sea, and in danger from false brothers. I have labored and toiled and often gone without sleep. I have known hunger and thirst and often have gone without food. I have been cold and naked. Besides everything else, I face daily the pressure of my concern for all the churches. This is Paul's resume of pain. And in fact, this is only a glimpse of the resume of pain that Paul has in his life. In fact, in the 33 years that Paul, 33 or so years that Paul actually became a believer of Christ and began to preach and church plant and, and travel, his life ended after two years of house arrest where he was beheaded for his faith. Paul has a resume of pain that is long, extensive, and thorough. If anybody has the right to speak about pain, it's Paul. If anybody has the right to speak about pain because he inflicted it on other people, it's Paul. In fact, in Acts chapter 9, if you flip a few pages before at the very end of chapter 7 on the front end of chapter 8, Paul himself stood by and watched Stephen be stoned to death. And he watched with approval because it was with his hand that he voted for not only Stephen's death but many others. Paul understands suffering and pain and in fact in Acts chapter 9 when Ananias was called by Christ to go to Judas's house on Straight Street to pray over Paul Ananias said no you know he's come to arrest men and women who follow Christ and the Lord said wait you don't understand Ananias he's going to be an instrument for me and he will have to suffer for the cause of Christ we must understand that pain and suffering is real whether you are a believer in Christ or not whether you consider yourself good or not because quite frankly suffering and pain 
it's not just the good people that have pain and suffering. Because that's one of the questions that many people ask themselves. If God is good, then why do good people suffer? The fact is, all people in life deal with pain and suffering. It's not just quote-unquote good people. It's not just quote-unquote bad people. All of us have storms. But see, it's about perspective, is it not? Because again, perspective determines our response. And our response determines our outcome. Paul has a perspective on pain. He has a perspective on adversity. If you read that list, and you look at that list, and you begin to unpack it, the man, anywhere he turned, people were after him. Pain and adversity sought him out. But he had a mission at hand. The list is long of how many converts that Paul had changed their life because he preached the gospel. But he knew it was worth it. He knew the risk and understood the reward was greater. But he's got a perspective that that we need to understand. His perspective on pain is that, like we mentioned last week, our weaknesses, our wounds, are not weaknesses. Our wounds are strength. Well, let's jump in. We're going to really be in Acts chapter 11 for just a short time. Jump back in. Verse 30, chapter 11. What's his perspective on pain? I'm really letting Paul preach today, not me. I'm letting Paul do the preaching. 2 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 30. He says, If I must boast, I will boast of the things that show my weakness. Skip over to, uh, I'm sorry, I lost my, here we go. Skip over to verse, uh, chapter 12, verse 8. My apologies, the off button's still off. Skip over to chapter 12, verse 9, 8, 9, 10, and uh, there you go. It's on the screen. How about that? You like them apples? There you go. Verse 8. Three times I pleaded with the Lord to take it away from me, but he said to me, My grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses, so that Christ's power may rest on me. That is why, for Christ's sake, I delight in weaknesses, in insults, in hardships, in persecutions, in difficulties. For when I am weak, then I am strong. Paul's perspective on on pain is that pain doesn't have the power. In fact, pain's power is only given because we give power to pain. Right? Pain only has power because we give pain power. Our perspective on pain is that it's, it hurts. It's difficult. And I totally agree with you. Many of you have suffered through a lot of things that I don't even know about. And you wouldn't want to deal with that pain ever again in your life. 
the hardest day in my life was February 14, 2003. That was the disintegration of my family. Fallout was rampant. I don't ever want to experience that day and that pain again in my life. However, looking back in retrospect, that day started a whole firestorm in my life of difficulty, of divorce, of a lot of questions in my family. But now I look back and that was the crucible that I was in that brought things in my life to surface that God pulled out. That day was not because of my choice at all. That day was at the hands of someone else, right? Because often things happen in our life that we don't choose. But on the back end, I can see that that whole year and then some, that's when the Lord forged things in my life that I to this day know it was Him who forged them and not myself. That experience was more than I could handle on my own. I literally was in a fetal position in my bed for at least a day. Pain happens. Suffering happens. Adversity happens in our life. Paul's perspective is that his weaknesses are not weaknesses in the hands of Christ. Again, Pain only has power if we allow it to have power. And that depends on your perspective. It depends on how you walk through it. If you walk through it. Many of you were here last week and you stood up. You took a stand in your pain. You started the process of resilience. Right? Because resilience starts when you get up in the midst of adversity. When you get up in the midst of pain. When you get up in the midst of suffering. But something has to shift in you. Your perspective on pain. Paul himself said, be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Our perspective cannot be shifted unless the Lord is doing things on the inside. That switch has to get flipped. Wow, that worked that into a sermon, right? The flip has to, the switch has to get flipped in you. And sometimes that has to be done because we come before the Lord. But see, pain in your hands can become a weapon. But for it to be a double-edged sword, you have to respond. I was reading the most recent, the most recent Redskin report, right? The superintendent's message in the Redskins report, actually, I read that, and then I flip through the pages to see what's going on, and then I kind of toss it. But I always want to read the superintendent's message. And this week, or this month in August, in the message, he kind of disclosed 
this equation that has helped him in his life. And the equation is E plus R equals O. Events plus response equals outcome. Something we already talked about. There are events in life that you will never have control over. Currently, there are a lot of events in our life that we currently don't have control over, right? My goodness. I'm just waiting and longing for the day, right? All of us are. Students are walking into a place right now that they have little control over. Teachers, they think they're going to have control over the classroom, but they still have to abide by certain standards. There are events in your life that you will not have control over. But what do you have control over? Your response to them. Your response to the event that occurs in your life determines your outcome, as he he stated. Well, let's see how this played out. Back in 2019, uh, at the Global Leadership Summit, Bear Grylls, um, and if you don't know who Bear Grylls is, uh, he is is an author, uh, and he is an amazing survivalist, uh, man versus wild. I just started this series like a couple days ago. Guy's awesome, man. It's crazy. It's awesome. But in his in his 2019 Global Leadership Summit talk, he shared more, less about summits and victories and more about failures and fear and fire and faith and how the failures and the fear forged the fire on the inside of him and how his faith anchored him. He is a follower of Jesus Christ. And in that summit discussion, he recalled his attempt to be a part of the elite British Special Forces, the SAS. And on his first attempt, he stood there with 90 other recruits, muscle-bound recruits, at the foot of a looming mountain with 11 months to go in the selection process. And in that moment, he recalled how he was so full of self-doubt that he thought he was in over his head and that he wasn't going to make it, that he wasn't good enough, especially as he began comparing himself to everybody else that was standing next to him. Perspective matters, does it not? With six months under his belt in this 11-month arduous rigorous selection process his superiors came to him and sent him back to unit in other words bear himself failed he failed the first time in the selection process and admittedly in his summit talk he said i was not smart enough i was not good enough i was not strong enough Perspective matters, doesn't it? But it was that failure. It was that loss. It was the pain of those six months. And it was the pain of being rejected. 
where he himself determined, I'm going to respond differently. I'm going to respond differently to my failure. I'm going to respond differently to the rejection. And so he went back into the SAS selection process. Now standing with 90 recruits on the front end of 11 months in winter selection, which is much more arduous and rigorous, he started out. At the same point that he was rejected in the first SAS process, the 90 recruits had dwindled down to 18. And he was still one of the 18. And he recalled a moment where he and those 18 recruits were coming over the peak of a Welsh mountain after a long, long hike. Rucksacks over their back, they were fatigued. And as they came over the peak of that mountain, they saw the lights of the trucks. And for him, he recalled that meant rest. That meant another part of this process was done and completed. And as they descended and came nearer the trucks, what they heard were the engines of the trucks starting up. And then the 18 recruits saw those trucks drive off. And they watched. They were told that those trucks will meet them back on the other side of that mountain that they just descended. It's 3 a.m. in the morning. It's pitch black. It's cold and it's rainy. And as soon as those 18 recruits were told they have to hump back over that mountain, six of them took off their packs, dropped their packs, and quit. The remaining 12, while they were over their rifles, picked themselves up, mustered whatever strength that they could muster, and they began to turn around and walk. The irony... It was about a mere 200 yards that the trucks came back around the mountain to pick up all of those recruits. The SAS wanted to know, how will you respond in adversity? How will you respond in the moment when you have nothing left? and you feel like your tank is empty, will you drop your pack? Or will you pick up your rifle and go? Ironically, at the end of the 11-month selection, only four remained. Four of 90 remained. And Bear recalled three of those four failed in their first attempt at SAS selection process. How will you respond? Church, folks, 
going the distance will have adversity. Keeping the faith in Christ will present challenges where your tank is almost empty. Where your faith is just about bone dry. Where you feel like you just want to throw down the pack. Where you have been carrying the weight of pain and suffering your whole life. How will you respond? How you respond will determine whether you go the distance. Here's the fact. You were born and created in the image of our Creator. I just want to tell you that you actually have resilience in you because of who you're created by. You are that image bearer of God. You carry value and dignity and worth and all those things that we've talked about before. But you also carry something along with those things. It's resilience. Resilience is a muscle that has been given to you. I recall going skiing for the first time sober. It was with a youth group. Yeah. I'd been skiing before, but not like this. And after a day of skiing, I realized that I was using muscles in my body that I hadn't used before. Right? All of us have those experiences when, whether we paint or we're moving, the next day you just start feeling places that you haven't felt before, even as an athlete. That's the same with resilience. It's a muscle that you have that you don't realize that you have. And when you actually begin to operate it, you begin to feel it for the first time in your entire life. The fibers begin to stretch and blood begins to rush to it. And the moment that you choose to get up in the midst of adversity, challenge, grief, loss, suffering, the moment you say, I'm going to get up, I'm going to put the pack on my back and I'm going to keep hoofing it, the next time you face adversity, it gets a little bit easier to go forward. It gets a little bit easier to get up. You have got to develop that muscle that God has given you in your life. And there are many of you right now that are carrying a lot. I want to encourage you with Paul's words in the same letter. Chapter 6, verse 4. Rather, as servants of God, we commend ourselves in every way, in great endurance, in troubles, hardships and distresses, in beatings, imprisonments, and riots. Wow, he's speaking to the 21st century. 
and hard work, in sleepless nights and hunger, in purity, understanding, patience and kindness, in the Holy Spirit and in sincere love, in truthful speech and in the power of God, with weapons of righteousness in the, in the right hand and in the left, through the glory and dishonor, bad report and good report, genuine yet regarded as impostors, known yet regarded as unknown, dying yet we live on, beaten and yet not killed, sorrowful yet always rejoicing, poor yet making many rich, having nothing yet possessing everything. Chapter 4, verse 7. But we have this treasure in jars of clay to show that this all-surpassing power is from God and not from us. We are hard-pressed on every side, but not crushed. Perplexed, but not in despair. Persecuted, but not abandoned. Struck down, but not destroyed. We always carry around in our body the death of Jesus so that the life of Jesus may also be revealed in our body. For we who are alive, always being given over to death for Jesus' sake, so that His life may be revealed in our mortal body, so then death is at work in us, but the life is at work in you. The muscle of resilience is in you. All throughout Scripture, we see the dead getting up. Ezekiel 37, bones very dry, so dry there's nothing on them. And in a moment, in a word, they come together and there's a rattle and hum. And then the breath of life is spoken into them. In the moment of despair, when all seemed lost, three days of grief, on that Sunday morning He rose from the dead. And that night He came to those that were grieving, that were at their lost last point. They saw the trucks driving away with the lights dimming to a darkness. And Jesus said, Peace be with you. And He breathed breath into them. Folks, God is the God who raises the dead, who has given you the muscle of resilience. We've got to develop that. Right now, you need to choose what will happen what you will do when the next storm comes. Some of you are already in that storm, and I want to encourage you to get up. Get up. Get up. Because when you get up, pain becomes your weapon. Pain becomes your weapon. Your wound becomes your strength. And you begin to dare greatly. You begin to look at life differently because your perspective has shifted, your response has shifted, and now the outcome has shifted. 
you stop hiding in your weaknesses. The irony is when we hide in our weaknesses, we actually hide the true potential of ourself that is within us because God gave it to us. So get up and begin to dare greatly in your life. I want to leave you with this quote. This is Teddy Roosevelt's Man in an Arena. It is not the critic who counts. Not the man who points out how the strong man stumbles. Or where the doer of deeds could have done better. He's talking about social media right there, by the way. 1910. Okay. The credit belongs to the man, to the woman, to the teenager, to the child who is actually in the arena, whose face is marred by dust and sweat and blood, who strives valiantly, who errs and comes short again and again. They got up because there is no effort without error and shortcoming, but who does actually strive to do the deeds, as Matthew read, do good. Who knows the great enthusiasm, the great devotions, who spends himself in a worthy cause. Who at best knows in the end the triumph of high achievement, and who at the worst, if he fails, at least he fails while daring greatly. We must dare greatly, so that his place will never be with those cold and timid souls who know neither victory nor defeat. Develop the muscle of resilience in your life. Get up. Get up. Get up when there's adversity. Get up when there's the challenge. Get up when there's suffering. But also get up when you failed. Get up when you tried. And try again. Get up and dare greatly. Will you please stand up? That muscle's in you. The muscle is in you. And Jesus got up for you. He got up for you. Jesus himself dared greatly. When all seemed lost, when it looked like everything was going to fall apart, he got up. He got up so that all of us can get up where we are. And so we can begin to move forward and dare greatly for our life. Because you are saved through Christ by faith and grace. But you're also saved by Christ through faith and by grace to do good things, good works in his name, to dare greatly. Would you just bow your heads just a moment If you're kind of in that adversity, if you're in that challenge, if you're in the pain, if you're in the grief, if you're in the loss, I'm just, I just want you to just raise your hand so I can see you and I can pray for you. 
Yeah. Yeah. Yep. Yes. 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 Heavenly Father, for those that raise their hand that are there, um, they are facing the mountain. It's looming over them. And they have already embarked on that arduous journey and they are tired. Lord, I, I ask right now that you speak into their life and that you empower them to get up and to keep moving forward. For those of us that are in this room and listening, Lord, help us develop that muscle of resilience. And it really is just getting up in the face of whatever challenge is in our, in our face. And we step into it and we walk through it. Help us develop that as, as believers in Christ, but all, also just as humans. The difference between ordinary and, and extraordinary is that word extra. God, help us do extra. Help us be that extra for us by your Spirit. And Lord, may your church, may, uh, may we, for ourselves, for our body, for our community, and for our families, may we dare greatly. May we dare greatly. May we get in the ring. And if we get knocked down, help us get back up. But Lord, I, I pray for all of us that the resurrection of Jesus Christ become our pivot point, our linchpin in our life because you did get up. Thank you so much for that. Lord, I ask that you bless these families. And those that they represent, will you use them and impact people in their workplaces, in their neighborhoods, in their own family, and in their own communities? Will you use them? Will you let the light shine brightly through the cracks of their life? Because that's where it shines the brightest. Through those cracks. I love you, Jesus. I thank you. We ask these things in your name, Jesus Christ. Amen. Folks, we love you. We really do. We pray for you. Uh, we pray for you weekly. As staff, we pray for you at Encounter at 5 p.m. And we pray for you at 10 a.m. right over here. It's a new thing called gravity. We pray for you prior to this service. Pray for this time. We love you. May you love the Lord your God with all your heart, your mind, your soul, and your strength. And will you please love your neighbor as yourself. Have a wonderful day. Bye-bye. Thank you for listening to the Wapak Naz podcast. We hope you are moved deeply to step into God and the hope and future he has for you. And that you are moved to be salt, light, and yeast in your community and to love people to Jesus.